Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. This is kind of a part two. Today, I'm going to talk about lying, but I'm going to talk about it as it relates to older kids, so kind of 12 and up. Um, So if you have teens, listen up. If you don't have teens, you will, so listen up. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Clary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting, and welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week. And we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So lying, here's the thing about lying. Kids are mostly kind of sort of honest. Um, And teenagers, all teenagers lie to some degree. Um, and, and there's a few different reasons for that. Sometimes lying for teenagers is really about a way to assert independence, a little bit of sovereignty. This is mine. I'm going to keep this for me and you can't know about it. So there's a little bit of that um, when it comes to teenagers. There's four different types of lying that I think parents need to be aware of. The first type is, is social lying, which we all do. Somebody gets a haircut. Oh, you like my hair? And it's not great. And you're like, oh, yeah, it looks amazing. Um, so social lying is um, a very nuanced thing. It's very complicated. It's hard to explain why it's okay, why it's not okay. Um, but it makes having a very hard line against lying uh, difficult because it's definitely uh, nuanced. Uh, The next type of lying is sort of malicious lying, so gossiping, making up stories, really saying things that are actually designed to hurt or put someone else at risk. And that's that's a significantly uh, concerning type of lying. And there is some of that with teenagers. They gossip about each other. They tell stories. They make things up to get in and out of trouble that can at times affect another person. So we'll loop around and talk about that. Um, And then there's kind of exaggeration and hyperbole. So you know, you went away to a friend's cottage on the weekend and suddenly it becomes a much more dramatic, exciting, luxurious cottage than it actually was, or you own the cottage, but you actually don't. And, and that's a complex, uh, um, that's complex as well, because learning how to, um, market yourself and sound good and sound important without lying and without using hyperbole is a tough thing for some teenagers. They they kind of struggle with that and they feel a lot of pressure sometimes and make things sound a lot better, more interesting, more exciting than, than it is in order to make friends because they're terrified of being uh, left out or misunderstood. So it can get very, very, very complicated. Um, and the last lie is um, like getting out of trouble lying. I did my homework already. There was no homework today. We had a supply teacher. Nothing. We didn't learn anything. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Or I lost my test or we didn't have a test when we did have a test. So we'll sort of dive into some of the complexities of lying in this call. But I want to kind of reiterate what I talked about in the last podcast online, which is that the most important thing is to have that connection. So really making sure that if you're pretty sure your child is lying, to start with mirroring, start with connection, start with talking to them as if um, you're really hearing them. Because if you right away start saying, this doesn't sound right, this sounds not true to me, how could that be possible? How, how could that be possible if this happened? And what about this? And 
So when you get into that kind of interrogative flow, um, anybody, a teenager, anyone actually will double down. They will often double down. The midbrain will, will uh, start to engage. The limbic system will turn on and you will be in, that child will be in fight or flight mode and they will be defending that lie because they're feeling attacked and they're feeling embarrassed. They're no longer going to be hearing and listening to how ridiculous the story sounds or how they've kind of contradicted themselves. They're just going to be really upset about it. And here's the really crazy thing about lying. And I don't think I said this in the first podcast I did on lying, but kids get just as upset, literally just as upset when you don't believe their lies as when you don't believe their truth. And that what, that's what gets really hard because they, they come at you with such conviction and they are so insulted and so hurt that you don't believe them, even though they may be lying, which sends some really confusing signals to parents. And it really does. So, so that piece of like connecting and understanding that they are feeling upset if you don't believe them, which I realize how ridiculous this sounds, but if you really want to learn how to navigate this with your kids, you have to start from that premise. And you really talk to them and you engage with them as if it's true. Um, so the example I think I gave in the, in the first story, and I actually was a teenager, was a kid who uh, said he'd gotten uh, jumped for his iPad. And the first, the story was, oh, 30 people attacked me and I beat them all up and uh, I managed to save my iPad. This is a kid that I was working with in, in therapy. And of course I mirrored back. I said, wow, so all of these, and with no sarcasm, all these people beat you up. You were threatened. There was a crowd. They were all coming at you. And somehow in the midst of all of that, somehow you found some strength and you were able to hang on to that iPad. Now I did not do it with sarcasm. I did it legitimately like that. And here's what's so interesting. The kid listens to, this, to, to my feedback. And of course it sounds ridiculous. Um, and when kids are making up lies, what's really interesting is the brain is very engaged in storytelling. They're seeing the images, they're deciding what um, would go well together, they're enhancing, they're giving a lot of detail and they're off in their own minds uh, weaving together this tale. And so what's happening is the eyes are actually kind of disengaged. So they're looking at you, but they're actually searching in their mind for all kinds of details that could support this story and for ways to make the story sound convincing. As they're doing that, they are not hearing themselves, first of all, and they are not paying attention to the nonverbal language on your face. They're not seeing the face that looks, you know, the eyes are a little wider, or if they're lying to appear, they're not seeing their friend kind of look away or look to the side or roll their eyes a little bit or look at someone else. And if they do pick up on that, it adds to the anxiety and they just double down on the storytelling. They try to find something else that can reinforce their story. So this child is telling me the story. He then picks up some of my feedback because I didn't say, really, you beat up 30 people. 30 people, you expect me to, which I'm a therapist, I can't do that. But if someone had done that, his anxiety would have spiked. The storytelling would have doubled down and he would not have been able to pick up on my, my facial expressions. So then he looked at me and I'm, I, I, my facial expressions are not giving anything away, but what he was able to hear was his story that sounded ridiculous. He can't beat up 30 kids and keep an iPad. So he, he basically said to me, well, I kind of exaggerated that. It actually wasn't 30 people beating me up. It was one person beating me up, but 30 people were watching. And so I, I mirrored back. I said, well, 
regardless, that, that's a lot of people watching you. That's a lot of people threatening you, a lot of people not supporting you. Somebody's grabbing something that matters to you, they're getting aggressive, um, and you were able to, you know, hold on to your iPad and come home intact. And again, he listens to the story, and again, he hears back that that also doesn't sound right. Story got uh, kind of maneuvered again, and it turned in, well, it was one kid. Um, and he started to say that it was one kid and he beat him up. He started to beat that the kid beat him up and he, he, you know, fought back and kept his iPad. But now the tears came because I'm not confronting this child because I'm not challenging him because I'm offering safety and space. This kid can kind of figure out what's going on. And of course the tears came. It was one kid. He beat me up. He took my iPad. And, and there was the story, right? So I was able to talk to him about how that story, how that lie was a wish. It was a wish that he would have been strong enough, that he wouldn't have been the victim in that situation. Of course, as we talked, because of therapy, we talked about all of the, you know, upset and trauma that came from that and all the things, of course, that needed to come from that, um, all the channels that needed to be followed after that event, but also other things that have happened in his life where he's felt victimized and it allowed doors to open so we could talk about all of that and what I want people to understand is that when you can have a, a loving connected conversation even though you think the person may be lying it can open up into them feeling safe enough to tell you the truth and then have a really important conversation about what the lie was for what is the lie doing for them what is the what service or, or purpose is that lie providing and sometimes you can have the most amazing and deep, uh, vulnerable conversations with your kids when you handle it this way. Now, what's important to understand about lying, um, it usually does serve some kind of purpose for sure. Um, but as you get angry and you get ang you know, mad at your kids and you threaten your kids and you better tell me or this is going to happen or you know, that type of thing, um, they're going to double down. They're going to double down and they're going to remember that telling you something is really scary. There's going to be a huge reaction. Anxiety is going to take over. The frontal lobe is going to shut off. The midbrain is going to turn on and they're going to become better and more sophisticated liars. So let's go through these four different lies. Let's, let's start with the most obvious one, which is the getting out of trouble lie. Oh, we had a supply teacher. Oh, it wasn't a test today. Oh, I lost it. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever <laughs> story they come up with. Again, you're going to start out by mirroring. You're going to accept what they've told you. You're going to say it back. And there'll be something. Either they will hear their story back and feel a little bit badly that they're lying to you because you're not yelling. You're not going, what do you mean? What do you mean you didn't have? Just because you had a supply teacher, what does that mean? You're not doing any of that. You're just kind of listening. And what often happens for most kids at this point is they, you're reacting differently than they thought. And there's going to be something on your face or on their face that's going to indicate that there's more to the story. And that's when you can gently say, I love you. And I know how important justice is to you and fairness is to you and how much you care about your grandparents and the environment. And I know what a good person you are. So there's something in this story that I feel like there's details that are missing something's not adding up. I love you. I'm going to give you a minute and um, I'm going to come back later or come back to me in a few minutes um, and you can share details with me. My promise is that I will not be angry with you, which is really important. Um, 
come back and tell me more details if you if you feel that you need to because it's it shouldn't be sitting with you right something's not right now they might get defensive oh you never believe me blah, 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 blah. if it was my sibling you'd believe me they might do that um and don't do it in a threatening or i know i'm going to catch you like it can't have any of that energy it really has to be love-based um and more often than not they'll they'll come to you and tell you okay fine I lost it or I failed or whatever it is. And that's where the first moment needs to be. Oh my God, what do you mean you failed? It can't be that. It has to be, thank you so much for being honest with me, for telling me the truth. The truth is hard to tell sometimes. And you feel real, that's a, that was a very vulnerable moment and I really appreciate it. And then actually fight the urge to jump all over them at that time. Come back later and say, thanks for telling me the truth. And I really do appreciate that. But now can we come back and talk about what happened? What can we do? How can we fix this? What steps do you need to take? That type of thing. And that's usually the best way to handle that. Now, the next type of lying, um, social lying, I think, is really a conversation. Um, and some kids are very blunt. Like, they will lie, but they they, they will lie about things they shouldn't lie about. and then not like things they should lie about. Um, so it gets very complicated, but maybe just a conversation about how complicated human beings are and how we say that lying is bad, but social lying or white lying is actually quite common. Um, and talk about you know how nuanced that is and how complex that is. And maybe you can have a, a lighter conversation about that. Um, okay, so then malicious lying. So this is, um, this is when you know, you found out that your child ha has made up a story about a sibling or someone else, and it, it's hurtful. It's actually hurtful to that other person. And again, our instinct is to get very angry and, and consequence or punish. And all behaviors are, the behavior is never the problem. The behavior is the symptom of the problem. And so the key is to have a loving conversation, a conversation based in a, in a place of love. You can be very firm. You don't have to be a pushover. This isn't about being like, oh, I don't, I'll pretend you're lying to me and I don't care. It's not that. It needs to be a safe conversation and a love-based conversation that can really help your child look inward and really think deeply about what that behavior meant. And I never hover over a kid and make them, so what is it? Why did you do that? Like, Suppose out loud, wonder out loud, um, really tie back to them being able to align with their own inner sense of what's right and wrong. Uh, and that ultimately lying and, and holding back information. I know because I work with teenagers all the time. They tell me, I, I feel gross that I haven't told my mom this, or I, I feel awful that I haven't shared this with my dad. Um, I'm just afraid they'll be mad at me. But I, I sort of work to help them understand that that awful feeling. Uh, that sick kind of icky feeling of holding on to this piece of information that they should tell their parents. Um, they'll continue to feel that way until they talk to their parents. And, and when they tell the truth, then that feeling goes away. So it's really helping them kind of line up with that um, internal sense of what not doing the right thing or lying, what that actually feels like in their body, which is why it's so important when kids tell you the truth to actually react in a way that's going to reinforce that they continue to tell you the truth instead of um, lying, which is really important. Um, the other piece about lying that's really unique to teenagers is uh, 
there's they often get confused between lying and privacy. There, there are certainly things that teenagers are allowed to know who they have a crush on or um, especially older teenagers, um, just this, things about their sexuality, things or, things they've done or not done. There's, everyone has a right to privacy, that, that there are things that not the, anyone else needs to know about. And so there's a very complex line between secrecy and privacy and lying and privacy. So having a conversation about that with their kids, with your kids is actually really important and sort of putting in categories, um, you know, certain things that nobody else needs to know. It's not hurting anyone. It's not dangerous. It's just very, very private. Some thoughts that they may have had about something or something they might've done in their own bedroom. That's nobody else's business. Um, and so having that conversation about the difference between secrecy and lying is important. And that, that, that's a great area for teenagers for a long time. They kind of feel for a while, like I have to tell my parents everything. Um, and the more open the conversation is and the more uh, love-based those conversations are, they, they, they will tell you everything. They will. Um, they may tell you stuff you don't want to know, um, but it's important to have that open relationship. Um, but, but do make sure kids know that they are entitled as a, as a unique and, and uh, sovereign individual to have certain things that are just very private that they can keep to themselves. Um, and that's okay. So the other thing to remember too, is that um, our teenagers are watching us all the time. So when we lie, um, you know, we tell our sibling that we, we're busy on Friday night when we're not, like we really have to know that they're watching and they will call us out as hypocrites um, if they find that we, we are lying or if we lie to them about something, that's really important. So remembering too, that lining up with your own integrity and being really honest with yourself and honest um, with your friends and friends and family and, and showing actually when you do uh, tell the truth, uh, how important that is. And the last little piece of lying that comes up a lot for teenagers, and this falls under the category of social lying, is they may get invited to something. Let's say they've been invited by two different people to an event and they're pleasers and they're also afraid of missing out on things. So they may say yes to too many plans at once. There's a lot of people that do this. Kids who are pleasers do this a lot. And then they have to decide which one they're going to. And then they have to make up a lie um, to the other party about why they're not going. And here, here is where the anxiety really comes in. Trying to remember what lie they told. Trying to remember um, what details they gave. Who they told what to. Because if they get caught or called out on that lie, there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that. So having a really open dialogue with your teenagers about what that feels like to be stressed out about getting called out on that lie and maybe having them practice a way to say no to plans that's pre-rehearsed, that sounds lovely and very strong because it's very hard for them sometimes to think of that in the moment. So if they're invited to something, hey, thanks a lot. Love that you thought about me for that. Unfortunately, I was invited to something else and first and I feel bad about it. Like they can sort of come up with two or three different scripts of how to turn down plans nicely. Um, Cause that's, uh, teenagers get into trouble for that a lot. Cause they often get found out, especially because of social media, snap maps. There's, it can get very, very messy um, that kids find out that they've been lied to and then they have to backtrack on that. And then they often tell more lies to get out of that. So really modeling 
and having conversations about the different types of lying and a little bit of scripting um, on helping kids get out of plans so they don't have to lie to get out of plans. So like most things with human beings, it's messy out there. Um, but hopefully when conversations are based in love and you're taking the time to, to really speak to your kids and, and respond to them instead of react, you should really, really help them on their path to becoming more and more honest and navigate some pretty tricky situations. So thank you so much. If you're interested in learning more about Connected Parenting, we've got online classes. You can go to connectedparenting.com to find out. We've got straight video classes. We also have uh, classes that have a coaching call and I'm active in the Facebook group, answering people's questions and interacting with everyone. Uh, there's my books, which you can find at connectedparenting.com. Uh, go back and listen to the earlier podcasts here that really go into detail about the calm technique and the technique of mirroring. That's really important. Don't forget we've got the village. The village is great. It's a weekly membership program where people can show up, help each other, support each other, get parenting advice and parenting and help from the people on the connected parenting team. Um, and we also have individual uh, therapists, parenting coaches, and uh, individual therapists on our team that can help families one-on-one -on -one because it is certainly tricky sometimes to be a parent. There's lots of different ways that we can help you at Connected Parenting on your parenting journey. Um, I will see you next time on the Connected Parenting Podcast.